Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with just a quick little solo episode talking about the influence of one of my favourite bands on one of my favourite bands. Today we're going to be talking about Finn Lizzy and their influence on Metallica. Uh, just before we get into that, please follow the show at MetallicaPod on Twitter. Get at me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about Finn Lizzy as well. Are you into Finn Lizzy? Too? Hopefully you will be by the end of this episode. Patreon is there, patreon.com forward slash AlphaMetallica. Huge thanks to everyone that supports on there. Basically everything that goes on the channel goes on there first. Leave us a review on iTunes, comment below, all that sort of good stuff. So yeah, today, as I say, we're looking at Finn Lizzy. Finn Lizzy are one of my all-time favourite bands, and they have been on that upper echelon pretty much since I got into them when I was around 13, 14. I mean, you know, not only obviously did Metallica cover Whiskey in the Jar, it's no obvious reference there, putting as a lead single from Gary Jing. But, you know, this is a band that when Cliff was interviewed in February 1986, one of his final interviews, and asked his top five favourite albums, he said all of Finn Lizzy's stuff. This is a band that Kirk Hammett named Gary Moore, who was one of their lead guitar players. What we're going to get into as we go through the show is Finn Lizzy have had a very much an ever-changing long not very unlike Metallica. Uh, Kirk named in Rolling Stone Gary Moore as one of his all-time favorite players, huge influence. This is a band that, you know, Hetfield was asked about his biggest influences on the band, and he said metal-wise, obviously it was Sabbath, but musically, he said Finn Lizzy. And, you know, they all adore Finn Lizzy. And I think, you know, most people, they're kind of this band's band kind of thing. And that's not to say that they're obscure or anything. Um, I remember Axel uh, rocking the Lizzy shirt on some of the Illusions date, which is pretty fucking cool, maybe an appetite as well. You know, they've got 2.5 million streams on Spotify. I think everyone kind of knows who Finn Lizzy is, but maybe people just kind of disregard them as a one-hit wonder. The boys are back in town or whatever, and, you know, Whiskey in a Jar as well. They've got a few numbers that kind of creep out there. Dancing in the Moonlight, you may be aware of. Because, um, you know... I say, I'm a giant, giant worshipper of the band of Phil and Co. And it was only listening recently to Eddie Trunk. He mentioned them and was going on about how much he loves them. And he was saying how sad it was that in America they just aren't popular. And obviously in, in Europe, in the mainland, in Blighty, in Ireland in particular, they are giant. So yeah, today is going to be a bit of a little freeform episode. I've wanted to do this for a while. You know, when you do these podcasts where you go into band's discography long form, as I mentioned a million times, uh, I did a Tom Waits podcast before this. Now I've doing the Metallica one there are loads of bands that I want to do podcasts for and I reckon I'm probably going to be podcasting for the rest of my life I fucking love doing this love talking about music so you know Lizzie are definitely up there I definitely do want to do a Lizzie podcast so I want to do podcasts about the replacements Soundgarden Gillian Welsh talking heads you know maybe all those things will happen they probably won't but yeah today we're going to talk about the history of the band how I got into the band the influence on Metallica, what the guys have said about the band. And at the end, I thought it'd be fun to wrap up a maybe like a little playlist of sorts. I'll recommend five songs that I love, that I think encapsulate what's so brilliant about the band. Put some little clips in there as well. So, um, yeah, I guess it's obvious to start with how I got into Finn Lizzy. Um, one of my earliest bands that I was into around the dates of Metallica and such like that. We all have these people in our lives. You know, if you are lucky enough in life, you have those sort of older figures that get you into certain bands, get you into music. And with me, I had two. I had my older cousin, Peter, who's about 15 years older than me. I mentioned him before. He's the one who got me into Metallica, got me into guitar and 
video games and graphic novels and writing and you know all that sort of stuff and then my dad as well my dad is massively into music got me into you know joe jackson and talking heads and ben folds and he's also a massive finn lizzie fan and he didn't really necessarily play finn lizzie when we were a kid or anything like that he wasn't really that sort of person that tried to get us into stuff it was just playing and if we liked it or not you know when i've gotten older i've realized the amount of talking heads that i know that i didn't even know and then obviously talking heads are one of the best bands ever and it made sense for me to go forward and yeah maybe in 2020 we're going to do a podcast called talking talking heads please don't steal that idea out there but you know if you do i'm not going to be too jealous i'll listen anyway so yeah um he was in fin Lizzie, and i remember i was about 14 i was really getting into playing guitar and i got a great uk magazine that i'm sure people will be aware of over over this way uh, called total guitar which is kind of geared towards younger players coming up it's not as sophisticated as like a guitar techniques you know there's not some sort of mixolydian breakdown section it's very much just showing you riffs and chords etc and they always gave you CDs in there, always gave you backing tracks, and I was just going through, you know, a lot of songs I didn't know, and one of the songs on there was Emerald, which is a wonderful song, huge sort of guitar hero theatrics on that track, um, and uh, yeah, it's of Jailbreak, and it didn't seem too hard, and it isn't too hard until you get to the solo thing, so I was sort of learning that, playing along in my room, and I remember my dad coming in, and I think it was the first time he'd sort of because I've been playing guitar for about a year or so and sort of struggling, not really making any hayway. And I think it's the first time he sort of had heard something that I played that sounded somewhat like the record. And he was like, is that Finn Lizzie? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So we got talking. And then by proxy of that, I started listening to Live and Dangerous by them, uh, which Emerald is on. Now, Live and Dangerous it, you know, repeatedly comes up in the all-time greatest live albums. It is my personal favourite live album. I think it's very much on that Kiss Alive spectrum where there's just overdub central. But still, unbelievable concert. Uh, absolutely fantastic performances by all the guys in the record if you've not listened to live and dangerous i'd say that's the kind of intro point for finn lizzie so yeah and it just went from there really this was uh, you know my generation my age is an interesting age you know i'm 26 now so when i was 14 in 2006 i wasn't really cognizant of you know torrenting or anything like that obviously that was around napster had been around for a long time but i wasn't really aware i was a bit naive streaming in, in its pomp now as it is was nothing back then i think there was a sort of you know, Napster, I think, was around legally then uh, in its sort of streaming phase. But yeah, I was just buying CDs, a uh, lot of CDs. And there used to be a store in England called Music Zone that unfortunately shut down. That used to do a lot of budget CDs. It was great. So I was just picking up these albums continually. And I was just in love with Finn Lizzy, essentially. I thought Live and Dangerous was one of the best things I've ever heard. And then I picked up, um, I think it was uh, Johnny the Fox was the one that I picked up next. And then Jailbreak. And then, yeah, just listened to them over and over again. And luckily enough... Within that sort of year span, Finn Lizzy's kind of modern iteration, because they are still touring now, but they've kind of renamed themselves the Black Star Riders. And Phil Liner, the, the, the beating heart of the band, uh, died in, I think, 86, um, succumbing to traditional sort of rock star addictions, which is very, very sad. I think he was like 30-odd when he died, which is, a, which is a great tragedy. But Lizzy carried on. And the Lizzy incarnation that I saw still had the same drummer, Brian Downey, um, still had one side of the guitar attack, Scott Gorham. Uh, it was led by John Sykes, who most people know from White Snake, Tigers of Pantang. He was actually singing. He was a guitarist in Finn Lizzy in their final mark. Um, that was in the sort of Thunder and Lightning era. But he was singing, so it was him, Scott. And then I think this guy was called like Mendoza, Marco Mendoza or something like that on bass. But anyway, saw them in Birmingham. What, still one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. It was essentially a greatest hit show. The sound was impeccable. I had this big goofy grin on my face the entire time. I think they came out to jailbreak and they were just 
absolutely out of this world really I remember they closed with Dancing in the Moonlight and had a long Still in Love with You Black Rose section and I should say as well people if you don't know who Finn Lizzy are I apologise maybe you'll get into them after this episode maybe it's all ignorant but hopefully there's some alphabetical listeners out there that fuck with Finn Lizzy like I fuck with Finn Lizzy and you're digging this chat so yeah I saw them then and that really cemented my love of them. I can still remember that day. And it's, oh man, there's just so many memories attached to that day as well. I remember on the afternoon before I left for the concert, I messaged this girl I liked on MSN or something and she messaged me back. And then when I went to Finn Lizzie, I was thinking about the girl to a certain extent. And then, when, and then she went on to become my first proper girlfriend. And I don't know why I'm divulging this information. But yeah, that was, God. That was 12 years ago. I'm getting fucking old. Um, and then also, I remember we went on holiday to Canada that summer. And in the RV, I had my headphones on. I was listening to Suicide by Finn Lizzie. And I was tapping my foot, like, heavily. And then my dad screaming at me to shut up and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's my past experience with Finn Lizzie. And as I've gone on, they've always been one of those bands that I've adored. And my friend Ryan, who came on for the Battery episode quite a while ago, he's massively into Lizzie as well. And we always listen to them and reminisce. But... Yeah, who are Finn Lizzy, basically? So Finn Lizzy, obviously an Irish band, uh, you know, heavy rock band. But as I said before, what makes it interesting is Phil at the centre. You know, what a star he was. What a rapacious, handsome, you know, this is a six-foot-something afroed black Irishman. Um, so obviously completely in antithesis to where he came from. And really is a one-of-a-kind, you know, a guy that has multiple sides to him. The romantic Lothario, the streetwise hustler, the Celtic warrior, the rocker frontman. Uh, he plays bass as well, incredibly good bass player. Often, people often say he plays bass like a guitar, the way he would hang it, he'd, he'd sling it low and he'd point it at the crowd and he'd have like a sort of diamond pl- plate on the scratch board that he'd kind of got from, um, I think they went on tour with Slade and Noddy Holder had one of those hats with all the reflective uh, mirrors on there. So he would use the bass as kind of a weapon to sear out into the crowd. But yeah, so Finn Lizzy went through, you know, a few permutations throughout their career. And the first one is their first three albums. They were initially a trio uh, made up of Phil, Brian Downey, the drummer I mentioned before, and Eric Bell, who was somewhat of an Irish guitar hero even back then. Uh, An incredible guitar player in his own right, still touring, I believe. And um, yeah, I don't think they were very successful, really, during this realm. And I don't really dig these records to be honest with you there certainly aren't that you know dual guitar harmony the romantic landscapes just the genius songwriting all those sort of things that become trademarks of Finn Lizzy aren't there and I haven't listened to them too much to be honest with you the first album I have listened to the self-titled one but I've read quite a lot about them I should say, if you want to know more about Lizzie, definitely check out a book that I'm going to be quoting from later in the episode, Cowboy Song, which is the authorised biography of Philip Liner uh, by Graham Thompson, but it's very much a biography of Finn Lizzie as well. It's an absolutely terrific book. And yet, even he makes out that the second and third albums are a little bit muddled, a little bit misguided. The second one, especially uh, Shades of a Blue Orphanage, was the classic, we put all our good songs on the first album that we had years to write, and now we've got pretty much got to write it in the studio and I know that copious amounts of hash were consumed during the writing and it's just somewhat garbled I mean Phil was a poet apparently he had a book of poetry that is kind of which it's available but it's very expensive on Amazon it doesn't seem to have been reprinted in the ebook form so I'm yet really to get my hands on it um but you know he had this tendency early on to get a bit too much troubadour too much stream of consciousness and I think some of these songs aren't that interesting for it uh, but of course out of these three I think it's Shades of Blue Orphanage actually the second track came uh, Whiskey in a Jar 
which is an all-time classic, a radio staple. Um, you know, uh, initially I think it was meant to be a B-side, where it's just, because it's effectively just two guitars. I don't think there's any bass on the track along with Phil, and it's kind of regurgitating a lot of that Irish mythos, you know, the highwayman producing his rapier and Molly and her chambers and all this sort of idea. You've heard the song, you know what I'm talking about. And that absolutely indelible guitar lick from Eric Bell throughout is just just gorgeous. Love that song. That's on the Shades of the Blue Orphanage. So yeah, they're their first three albums, and they also have Vagabonds of the Western World. And I believe around this time, um, Eric actually left the band, and Finn Lizzy started to go for a bit of a metamorphosis here. And the next two albums, Nightlife and Fighting, are okay. I mean, they're adopting that sort of twin guitar lead idea, which a lot of people put Lizzy as pioneering with. It does seem like they were one of the earliest people to do, I'm sure... As with anything in guitar playing, like voice boxes or tapping or any of the things you think were invented by these guys are actually done hundreds of years before by some Italian virtuoso in black and white footage. But yeah, um, fighting especially is it's a bit pocketed, but there's some good songs on here. Rosalie, uh, Suicide that I mentioned before, Freedom Song is a great song. And they're getting into that sort of, you know, the, the fire and water, the strum and drang of the six string that I really like about Finn Lizzy. I should say as well, Finn Lizzy, the, the name of the band, um, is a reference again to, you know, British culture. The Dandy, uh, very uh, similar to the Beano. These were huge comic books. Um, I don't know when they started, but certainly they were massive in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, I used to read them when I was a kid as well. And there was a character in the Dandy, a robot character called Tin Lizzie. Um, and obviously with the Irish, the Dublin accent, Finn sounds like Tin. So, you know, for a lot of their early gigs, I think the band were mistakenly promoted as Tin Lizzie. They thought they were actually called Tin Lizzie, but they were called Finn Lizzie. So, yeah, that's the origin of the name. But after fighting, we get into a purple patch, an unbelievable stream of records, which is, you know, really where my love of Finn Lizzie is, is founded. Um, Jailbreak is a masterpiece. You know, we've got everything from The Boys Are Back in Town and Cowboy Song, Emerald, that I mentioned before, closes the record, Jailbreak, over to it. That is a superb album. Johnny the Fox released the next year. I mean, this is that era of bands that were just releasing albums every year, and it's just, it, it's stunning how consistent they are. Again, Johnny the Fox is another fantastic album. Uh, then we had uh, Bad Reputation, which had Dancing in the Moonlight, another massive hit for them. Bad Reputation, which interestingly just has three members on the front cover, uh, Scott, Eric, and Phil. Because I believe that Brian Robertson, the hard-drinking Glaswegian, like, broke his hand in a bar fight or something like that, very similar to Christopher Marlowe, and uh, couldn't play. So, though the band are kind of a dual-harmony band, all of Bad Reputation, which again is a brilliant album, really, really solid 70s hard rock album, is all of Scott Gorham, who was from California, I believe. I think he was only like 20 when he recorded his album. So he does both harmonies and both all the solos and like, yeah, that Southbound on, the song Bad Reputation, that's another record, definitely worth checking out, Bad Reputation. After this came Live and Dangerous, stunning yet again. Um, I think yet again, just an absolute high watermark of this kind of songwriting, this kind of performance. And then maybe my favourite Lizzie album, Brian Robertson exits the picture at this point. In comes Gary Moore, who him and Phil had sort of came up together. I think they were in squalor bedsits in London when they were doing their early albums. You know, Gary was a massive guitar hero, is a massive guitar hero. So sad that he died so young. I think he died in 2011. Along with his sort of crazy theatrical stuff, he had a great solo career, great blues career. He was in a band called Skid Row, I think they were called, the sort of UK-European version, as opposed to Sebastian Bach and Slave to the Grind and all that sort of stuff. So, so, yeah, 
terrific guitar player. He comes in on Black Rose. I think he'd been part of the band a few years before, but this is where he gets codified into the thing. It's the only record he's ever recorded with them. This is a fucking stunning album. This is one of my favourite rock albums ever, Black Rose by Finn Lizzy. Nine songs. There's only nine songs on here. I don't think one note is put to waste. Um, the guitar solos are absolutely mind-blowing. There's some beautiful love songs on here, like Do Anything You Want To and Sarah, which Phil wrote about his young daughter. There is confessional junky drug tracks on here, like Got To Give It Up and Get Out Of Here. There is, you know, longing, um, kind of mythos-melding ideas with Black Rose, um, a rock legend, which is the closing track, where they're fl- throwing all these sort of Celtic influences into the part, and all the guitar solos are harking back to sort of national anthems, and yeah, Black Rose is incredible. And then from there... Finn Lizzy got a bit shit, really, to be honest with you. Uh, Gary left. Phil was pretty fucked up. This is kind of their dour period. An album called Chinatown um, that I didn't like at all. Renegade. I've not really even listened to Renegade. I know that it's not meant to be very good. And their final album was kind of them trying to do heavy metal and sort of, yeah, going into that new wave era. Uh, It's called Thunder and Lightning. It's where John Sykes, who I mentioned before when I saw them, he was the lead singer of Finn Lizzy. It's where he came into the fold. He was very much the kind of hot young thing at the time. The production on this album's awful. It's that kind of syrupy, glossy, you know, 80s redundancy that I really don't find compelling. It's kind of hard to find yourself in the mix. There's some riffs in there. Like, if you want just a heavy rocker, check out Cold Sweat. But I kind of like Phil's man of the people shtick that he did alongside his kind of uh, rocker paradigms and this one's a little bit too fateful to just out and out I don't know headbanging and, and riffing and yeah it's not very interesting and then you know from there Finn Lizzy broke up Phil started a new band called Grand Slam also had a solo career I don't know if they were broke up broke up I don't know if they're taking a hiatus or something but yeah soon after he died and that's fucking heartbreaking because he didn't even hit 40 and he is an absolute legend you know an icon and sorely sorely missed so yeah that was a quick blow by blow of Finn Lizzy um hopefully didn't butcher the history too much there so let's get into Metallica then let's get into the influences of Metallica so it's probably not that obvious when you listen to it. Obviously Metallica are out and out fresh from the beginning. And they do have a sense of melody, a keen ear for that sort of thing. But is that really an influence for Lizzy? I don't really know. And often a band will be a big influence, but maybe you don't hear it. Maybe it's more subconscious. You know, it just kind of influenced the band altogether in their, in their kind of adolescent years. I suppose the main thing is the guitar harmonies, which are all over Metallica. You know, think about the end of For Whom the Bell Tolls or Orion or Atlas Rise or Master of Puppets. You know, there are so many, even... Um, Four Horsemen, which doesn't really have the harmonies, but has the two guitar solos going on top of each other, which is what Finn Lizzy would often do. So yeah, you know, it's all throughout the band's lineage that you see this. And as I said before, um, so this is from an article talking about whiskey. Uh, heavy metal superstars Metallica often cover whiskey in the jar. In metal, the number one influence is Black Sabbath, according to Metallica's James Hetfield. But for the more musical bands, it will be Finn Lizzy, the songwriting, the lyrics, the dual guitar, and unbelievably cool drumming. It's just magic. Hetfield identified a depth to Linnet's writing that is often overlooked quote the struggles that he wrote about with drugs drink ethnicity all of those things they almost speak louder now and of course the main proponent of Finn Lizzy within the band was Cliff and there was an interview recently on Newsweek and they were speaking about um, the band playing live and first time that they performed Hardwired 
The first time that they performed Moth into the Flame was at Webster Hall in New York City on September 27th, 2016, which is yesterday at the time of me recording this, well, 2018, but 20th of September. The 30th anniversary of Cliff's death, and he, uh, James was asked, how does, Cliff's work how does Cliff's work remain a key part of your musical life? And James says, well, he planted a harmony seed in me that I've never forgotten. He was a big, big Finn Lizzy fan. We were pretty, and I hate to use the word, bombastic. We were a little punk rock, and he brought in a little more musicality. And Cliff was interviewed in February of 1986. Um, this was in James and Lars's old pad, the Metalla Mansion. Apparently it was preceding a typically drunken night at the tiny Roofies Inn in Berkeley, California. And it was also later transcribed by Cliff's girlfriend, Corinne Lynn. Uh, it was interviewed by Harold O. In the US it was published in Fresh Magazine. And in Germany it was published in Rock Hard. So Cliff is basically talking about his influences with the interviewer. And he says, uh, quote, Lemmy also had a huge influence on the way that he used distortion. That was different, new and exciting. Also, certain guitar players have an influence. People like, well, everything Finn Lizzy did has had an influence. Phil was great. Jimi Hendrix, Ulrich, Yuli Roth, to a degree, Tony Iommi, they also had an influence. And as I said before, the interviewer asked Cliff about his top five favorite albums. And he says, uh, top five albums. Well, let's just say top five bands. Everything by Glenn Densig, which is The Misfits or Sam Hain, all of his shit. All of Finn Lizzy's stuff. What else is there? Jesus, what else? Ah, shit. So, yeah, great that... Cliff was so influenced by Finn Lizzy, and Finn Lizzy are fucking great, so of course he was. Cliff is fucking great as well, RIP to Cliff. And finally, we have an interview with Kirk from Rolling Stone, so this was after Gary Moore passed, saying, quote, Gary Moore is definitely in my list of top five guitar influences, right up there with Jimmy, Eddie, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Michael Schenker. His influence is strong to the point that the opening lick of the guitar solo, Master of Puppets, is a variation of a lick that Gary Moore played a lot. I remember the first time hearing his blues album and just getting totally blown away, not only by the playing, but by the sound of it too, his tone, and I remember being so inspired that I wrote a couple of riffs just based on his sound and his feel, and those riffs ended up in the Unforgiven on the Black album. I first heard of him in the late 1970s. I was a big Finn Lizzy fan then. I'd seen him on the Dangerous Tour, and not long afterwards, I heard there was a new album out called Black Rose. I heard, oh man, it's so good, Kirk. I heard Waiting for an Alibi on a college radio station, and I was amazed, because I instantly knew that they had a different guitar player. That was not Brian Robertson playing, or Scott Gorham playing that guitar solo. It was something else. I went to the record store and picked up Black Rose, looked at the cover, turned it over, and saw a guitar player named Gary Moore. He just blew me away from the first time I heard him. It was like Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan. He had a very distinct sound and a very distinct way of approaching his guitar playing. Soon after that, he came out with G-Force, which is a heavy rock band. There was this one instrumental track on the first G-Force album that just totally blew me away. And at that point, I just made a conscious decision to make him a part of my regular listening. Gary was also a big influence on me visually. Every time I saw a picture of him and he was playing a solo, the expression on his face conveyed that he was feeling it deep. I remember seeing a picture of him on stage with Finn Lizzy in a guitar solo, obviously with his bent back. He's playing the Gibson Les Paul gold top and he's bending the shit out of this one string and he has that expression on his face. I just thought, wow, I mean, that must have been a really intense moment right there because it looks so rock and roll and so cool and so lead guitarish. So... Yeah, obviously, Lizzie, giant influence, if I haven't got that point across yet in the episode, on Metallica. Very cool to hear Kurt go at long form on Gary Moore there as well. And yeah, he is right. Gary Moore's playing, like, Lizzie's playing... I've always thought this, like, I used to look at Lizzie's tablature uh, online on ultimateguitar.com and stuff, and especially the sort of live and dangerous Johnny the Fox stuff, you look at it on the page and it looks quite normal, it's just hammer on from 14 to 16, bend this note, and there's no kind of ridiculous runs going on, but when you hear it, it just works so well in the context, but Gary Moore was, 
I mean, he had that blues of Seti, but he was such a more attacking player. He had a bit more purpose, a little bit more energy. And finally, I just want to quote from Hot Press magazine. So this was a magazine that at the time had lots of you know key members of Finn Lizzy reminiscing on Phil. And speaking on Phil's death, James was invited as well. And he said, it was one of those moments that was so sad. You just wondered, why did God take such a creative person? But I think there was a purpose to it all. Because the struggles that he wrote about, drugs, drink, ethnicity, all of those things, they almost speak louder now that he's passed for me going through the struggle with alcohol and addiction in general just going back and listen to his lyrics it's like wow i know what he's talking about now i love that so the first song i want to point you guys to is a song called got to give it up probably my highlight of the song is gary moore's closing guitar solo which i'm going to play in full after this quote it's it's to me it's a great example of not many notes doing so much work the feel in these notes he just sort of takes over the song it's just like this sort of girding scaffolding building and it's just yeah it's totemic it's fantastic this is an unbelievable song off black rose and i just want to take a little quote from graham thompson's book cowboy song uh talking about the black rose sessions and got to give it up quote a defining snapshot of the sessions was the image of Lynette singing Got to Give It Up in the studio. It was a song in which he blurred the lines between fact and fiction, casting himself as the beautiful loser sinking slow, a man already lost to alcohol who is now messing with the heavy stuff. Deliberately close to the bone, it played a flirtatious game of truth or dare with the listener. When Lynette wasn't relating his bad habits of a kind of grim pride, he sounded a little frightened. In the studio, he sang Got to Give It Up, with a joint in one hand and a brandy in the other, snorting lines of cocaine between takes. I'm sitting next to Visconti, says engineer Kit Wolven. Tony was no angel at the time either, but he turns to me and goes, Got to Give It Up? I can't work with this fucking hypocrite. I think that's highly amusing, actually. It's rock and roll isn't it? So yeah, Got To Give It Up is my choice there of a song that you just have to listen to. Check out this fucking solo. song is from Johnny the Fox. This is one of the band's slower moments. You know, Phil could achieve real beauty and a sort of sensual intimacy. This is a song called Old Flame, in which, you know, quite obviously he's lingering on dalliances of the past. The harmonies in this song are beautiful as well. The way they start the song, they kind of usher in like this kind of soft, melodic curtain. There's a pace through the bass bang. I want to talk about Phil's bass bang a little bit as well. He was a terrific player. You know, really wasn't a root note sort of guy. I think very similar to McCartney in a lot of ways. Served the song, but was also embellished a lot, had a lot of fun ideas. I just listened to The Boys Are Back in Town on the stereo just to pump me up for this episode and his bass playing that I mean everyone talks about the harmonies and the guitar and also his imagery as well everyone coming back and the summer light summer nights growing longer and the chords and yeah I love that song really think that song is majorly underrated even though maybe it's a little overplayed as well but yeah Old Flame is another terrific song you know a wonderful track with a beautiful solo as well by Scott Gorham
Next song as well is another slow number. I think the definitive version of this is on Live and Dangerous. This is Southbound. Um, for me, it's the chord choice in the verses. They just build this kind of, this this idea of this, this panoramic, the end of the West kind of idea here. Very evocative, you know, speaking about panhandling and, and going southbound and the boom days are over and all that sort of idea and the desolation that's left after the gold rush has, has gone, you know, as, as Neil Young also explored. So yeah, this is Southbound. Drifting like a drover Chasing my career From the ships docked in the harbour two that I want to focus on are two of my all-time favourite Lizzie tracks. Waiting for an Alibi that Kirk mentioned is just bombastic. The end of this song is probably the apotheosis of Lizzie harmonising. Scott and Gary going one-on-one. This is so hard to play as well. I used to try and learn this for hours and I just could never get quite the right technique, never get quite the right speed over this. Listen to the ending of this song. Final track that I want to point to is my favourite Lizzie song. I have this weird memory of going downstairs when I was young. My dad listened to this song and sort of playing air guitar with my child sister, sort of he's sort of holding her as a guitar and strumming her stomach and like tuning her ears or something. Very playfully, I should mind. And them laughing and listening to this song. And this is just um, a delightful track. Again, has beautiful harmonies, has just just gutting guitar solos really hit me deep in my heart these guitar solos and they're so emotional i think scott and brian scott gorham and brian robertson are two of the most slept on players out there um again exploring that kind of old west mythology feel loved to get into this guys here and yeah i mean a wonderful wonderful song that really plays with its tempo as well stops and starts and moves forward and hushes down and again it's the live and dangerous version here uh, you know when when phil says it's okay amigos you can let yourself go and all the crowd cheer I always get goosebumps listen to that So yeah, this has been a bit of a weird episode, really. Mostly off the cuff, a few notes here and there. I hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully, if you're a Finn Lizzy fan, you've enjoyed it a bit more. But if you've never heard Finn Lizzy before and you're looking for a new band to get into, listen to Live and Dangerous, which kind of gives you a sort of greatest hits, but it's not a greatest hits. It's just a fucking bomb, you know, 
mind-shattering live album. And then check out Black Rose as well. Um, that's a wonderful piece of music. And any of the four albums that I spoke about, uh, Bad Reputation, Johnny the Fox, and Jailbreak are also good. And maybe you like the earlier stuff as well, which is a bit more uh, poetic, a little more hazy, if you get what I mean. But yeah, this has been Tom. Always wanted to do this episode for a long time. Very glad that I finally got the chance to record it. Um, what do you think of Finn Lizzie? Again, let me know in the comments down below. Get at me, metallicapod at gmail.com. We will be touching on Whiskey in a Jar. Whiskey in the Jar is the penultimate song. It'll be episode 161. The final song of Alf Metallica is going to be You Really Got Me, um, which is the kinks cover that they did on the ray davis album all my friends me and my friends that like springsteen was on and some other people like that so that's going to be technically the final song the final actually final metallica song is going to be whiplash that'll be episode 160 then we do whiskey then we do you really got me um as ever thank you guys for listening to the show i love doing the show got some loads of good songs coming up soon i think by the time this comes out we'll maybe have jump in the fire junior dad just a bullet away killing time king nothing you know we're not even halfway through and it is mad to me that pretty much all the song slots are filled for the next year or so if you do want to come on the song you do want to discuss a song we've got quite a few available coming up we've got um rebel of babylon remember tomorrow tomorrow um, I think Seek and Destroy is available, Shoot Me Again, The Small Hours, So What, Some Kind of Monster. So, yeah, if any of those songs take your fancy, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Get at me there, at MetallicaPod on Twitter as well. iTunes is there, Patreon is there. If you want to support, that's greatly appreciated. I'm hopefully going to be going on that uh, Black Sabbath podcast uh, with Rai. I think we're going to talk about the influence of Black Sabbath on Metallica. That should be a really, really fun episode. So, um, yeah, this has been Tom, as always. Thanks for listening to me, Babylon. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your day, whatever you're doing. And this is some Finn Lizzie. Just, if you've got a spare three or four minutes, put on Cowboy Song from Live and Dangerous. You're not going to regret it. All right, easy. Easy. <laughs>